You are listening to a message from Victory Alabang. Get the latest updates by visiting victoryalabang.org or like us on facebook.com slash victoryalabang. We're going through this series entitled Renew. And what this is, is a series where we go through stories when Jesus encountered men and women and changed their life altogether. There are those events in our lives when we encounter someone, something that it changes the way we view life. I was 19 years old when I first worked full-time. 19. Teenager pa ako. When I applied as a teacher, that's my first job, um, I approached the gate of the school and um, the guard with smile on his face said, Hindi mo pa alam? Di pa enrollment ngayon. And uh, of course, I said, mag-apply po ako. <laughs> I'm a teacher. And um, I applied and it changed the course of my life. I became a teacher for several years, eight years, in fact, before I became full-time. And during that time of teaching in several institutions, I got to meet my beautiful wife, Aizo. And that changed my life. <laughs> Redirected me in so many ways. Changed the way I view money, the way I view God, the way I view the scriptures, change the way I view myself. There are encounters in our lives that not only affect us, it changes the course of our lives. After some months, we had a baby. <laughs> and now she's nine months old, turning 10. And again, that event changed my life. Again, there are those events in our lives that hit us right smack in the middle and redirects the way we live. And that's the series Renew. When God touches us in so much impact, in such a way that it redirects the way we live. And in fact, this is the wonder, the core message of the gospel that we know. And today, one of those familiar stories in scripture. In fact, this one story, this one guy is so familiar that there's just so many things that he did that we all know. We're going to talk about how Jesus talked to Peter after his betrayal. It's interesting because we'll read um, the last chapter of the book of John that as John closes his beautiful and wonderful gospel, he writes a story that shows the power of resurrection. And as we go through it, we'll also see how God deals with guilt and rejection. John chapter 21, verses 15 to 19. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. 17, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This is said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Let's pray. Glorious and gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you as your people 
asking, move our hearts towards you. Holy Spirit, teach us today who this Jesus is and how he deals with us and how the cross and the resurrection moves us towards a life that is extraordinary, shaped and drawn towards you every single day. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen and amen. Peter is such a familiar figure. In fact, many cities, San Pedro is named after Peter. And there's so many stories about Peter and Jesus that are so interesting. We can recall in chapter 1 of the book of John how Jesus called Peter and his brothers, come follow me. And they left what they had as, as a business and they followed Jesus. We remember how Peter is this bold guy that whenever Jesus would ask for, you know, opinions or ideas, he's always the first to, you know, put in his idea in. And it's interesting how this Peter is such both an impulsive guy and at the same time a man of action really in the narrative of the Gospels. I love the idea that it's this, this same guy, Peter, is the guy who, who would always do things that you would shock you in paper when you read his stories. When, he, when Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say I am? Some say you're this, some say you're that. But you guys, who do you say I am? Peter was the one who said, you are the Lord. You are the Messiah. I'm sure of that. This is the same Peter that walked on water. Remember this? The same Peter said, I'm going to walk on water. And then a few moments later, he starts drowning. The same Peter that promised Jesus that if ever you go, I go. We see this in John 13 when when Jesus said, where I am going, you cannot follow. Peter said, no, no, I'm going to follow you. In fact, if you die, I'll die. And this promise is very interesting because we're now at the part of this narrative where we read they're having breakfast. And again, any detail in scripture is important. Any word. When, when John, uh, the beloved, penned these words, it's an intentional idea. It's an intentional uh, setting to this narrative. When they had finished breakfast, but to fully understand and fully appreciate the weight and the beauty of this breakfast, to fully appreciate this breakfast, we need to track back and understand what happened before this breakfast. Before this breakfast, this Jesus and just Peter were really, really close friends. In fact, Rabboni, Rabbi, Jesus is Peter's rabbi. He followed him around doing great things around the city of Jerusalem, healing, preaching, and doing all sorts and kind of things with this man. He used to be a fisherman. A man whose skills and, and trade is known to this near ancient world. And near eastern ancient world. And, and when he was taken by Jesus, he was made into become a fisher of man. He became a close companion to this Jesus. So much so, nah, he promised Jesus, I will not leave your side. I'd be the first to protect you. And true enough, on the night when Jesus was being arrested, remember this story? <laughs> when, when, when the guy, when the servant approached Jesus, it was Peter who drew the sword <laughs> and cut off the ear of Malchus. And what did Jesus do? He placed back the ear. <laughs> this Peter is one of those guys whose narrative resonates to a lot of us. But one of the most interesting and one of the most important events in his life is such that happened in John chapter 18. In John chapter 18, we see this story of a Peter who is a lot different 
to the Peter that we know from the first pages of the book of John. This bold, strong man who would impulsively do a lot of things at this point of the story is so different. In fact, in John chapter 18, verse 17, Peter and John was there inside the court where Jesus was being uh, scourged and being questioned by the high priest. The servant girl who was holding the door for Peter noticed him. And you remember this story, right? This is a, a very popular uh, Easter story. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also, are you not one of the, this man's disciples? And Peter answered, No, I'm not. And as this continued, Jesus was being questioned. He was hit. As the fire was kindling at the corner of this court, John chapter 18.25 says, Now Simon Peter was standing warming himself. So they said to him, You also, are you not one of his disciples, are you? He denied him again and said, I am not. I want you to imagine how this story is ongoing. Because I think we're kind of disconnected with, with the many images of Hollywood with how this went on. When John went in, because he knows the high priest, and, and took Peter in, you know that there's a sense in Peter that he wants to see what's happening to his rabbi. There's a sense that, so what's going to happen to him? There's, there's a sense of waiting in him. Uh, because remember, Peter's hopes and dreams and aspirations lie on this Messiah. He left everything and followed him. In his mind, this Messiah will be the king. He will defeat the Roman Empire. But at this point of this story, it seems like Peter is unsure. In a huli In fact, his, Jesus seems to be not doing anything that he expects he will do. He would expect Jesus to call upon the angels maybe or to win over this argument by saying something witty. But no, Jesus was a willing captive, so to speak, in this story. And Peter at the side, maybe with fear, maybe with doubt, was on the side warming his hand, listening to this conversation. In his mind, what is happening maybe? This culminates with the third denial. Peter again denied it. In, in John 18.26, one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, Kamag-anak na ni Malcos. So yung una, yung servant girl, called him out. Then a man inside called him out. And then a person who knows this Peter guy, because kamag-anak ni Malcos yung pinutulan ng tenga. I know you. Did I not see you in the garden with him? John 18.27 says, Peter again denied it. And at once, a rooster sounded off. In this very particular narrative of John, he doesn't explain much what Peter felt or what he did. He remained silent, si John, when he wrote this. And all we see is a, is a Peter who's standing very different from the Peter we knew from the first pages of John. He was not shouting. He was not blurting out impulsive amen to Jesus. He was just there denying Jesus. In fact, in Luke chapter 22, gives us a very vivid image of how Peter responded. At this point, when Jesus was struck by the hand of one of the soldiers, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, 
how he said to him before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. We must imagine the way it felt when he was there. Can you imagine this? You promised something so important. You promised him, you know, Jesus, when it comes to that point, if I would need to die, I would. You know? It's like a big promise to your wife. It's my wife's birthday today. You know, yeah, she, she'll be here later if you see her, greet her. But um, it's like a big promise. I'll do this. And come the day you forgot. Um, but this is so different in a sense because the promise is so big and he did not forget. He was standing at the corner thinking of his promise. It says there, Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, the prophecy of the Lord. How he has said to him before that rooster sounds off. He will deny me three times. You, you would have denied me three times at that point. So imagine the pain, the struggle, the guilt, the shame that Peter is feeling. Now, maybe it's hard to imagine for us this feeling of guilt and shame. It's not as if, you know, we denied Jesus in front of Jesus. That's gonna be, you know, weird. But, at the same time, we understand what lies underneath the words guilt and shame. We understand this. It may not be exactly what Peter did, but underneath the words guilt and shame, there is somehow a universal feeling of failing to meet an expectation or a promise, a standard whether of a societal thing or a personal one. That was the experience of Peter. If you look at what he did, he went out and he wept bitterly. And this is a very important detail to John. Men in the Jewish society cry only in moments that they experience so deep a pain that they need to shout it out loud and show people that they're crying. Remember, repentance includes going out and crying and, you know, sackcloth and whatnot. Here, John uses words that are very intentional. He went out of the presence of Jesus and he wept. He grieved. He felt guilt and shame. Our expressions of guilt and shame may be so varied, as varied as our personalities, preferences, and all other life experiences. But our experience of guilt and shame is almost always the same. Because at core of these words is a very human understanding of what it is. Whether it is as simple as not fulfilling a simple promise or as horrid and terrible as abortion or killing. Guilt and shame at core is so deeply ingrained in the heart of humanity. In fact, when you think about it, guilt and shame is, is a very common Filipino thing. Shame specifically. In Filipino societies, or I'm not sure how other cultures would interpret it, shame is a, a, a regular language. If you're not tall enough, if you're not white enough, if you're not slim enough, if your nose is not tall enough, if you're not young enough or old enough, 
there's a sense of shaming that looms around conversations. In fact, shame has become a language of humor. This is a very important thing that is ingrained within our culture. But what Peter felt was something so grave and so deep that it affected who he is. And it turned him away from the presence of Jesus. You'll know by reading the gospel narratives that at this point, the disciples would be hiding, scared for their lives. Jesus will be brought to the cross. The most gruesome kind of death that humanity has ever invented. And at that cross, Jesus would see His disciples. And at that cross, He would take in the sin of all humanity, would take in all the shame, and die. Guilt and shame is a very human experience. We can take it from the simplest jokes to the most hard life experiences that brought us to guilt and shame. It can be things that we have done, such as Peter. Something that we have done on our own and therefore we feel the shame and the guilt of our actions. Or maybe something that other people had done to us that placed in us guilt and shame. But no matter what it is, guilt and shame is a very integral part of human experience. You do not have to be too old to understand what it is even. That we people walk around carrying this baggage of guilt and shame, whether you know it or not, believe it or not, see it or not. Peter did. Who would blame him? <laughs> he went through one of the toughest human experiences there is to deny your very master, Jesus himself. As I reflect on the idea of guilt and shame, I can't help but uh, think about the pain that it is on my personal experience of guilt and shame. To deeply understand what this guilt and shame is, I realize how big these words are, guilt and shame. That sometimes it is these words that drive the lifetime of someone. That because of unexperience, because of an encounter, because of an event that caused so much guilt and shame that can drive a person's life. And again, what a dark experience that is. We have all sorts and kinds of ways to deal with guilt and shame. But when we think about and step back what guilt and shame is and its effect to humanity, it's hard to understand what it is at the very core. Because as I think through scriptures, I realize that guilt and shame are, are not the main problems. This is not the main issue. That underneath guilt and shame looms a deeper issue. We have used the term sin. Guilt and shame are mere symptoms of a real deep problem. Separation and sin. That guilt and shame are not merely the things that you have to resolve. The things that we need to deal with. I remember one of my students who... All throughout the semester, we have been conversing and we're, we're good friends, this student of mine. And um, he's getting okay grades in, inside that class. And one day he got, and in, in our conversation, I was telling him, you know what? I want you to receive a really nice mark the next test. And I was encouraging him and praying for him. And the next test came and he got a really, really good grade. And I was so excited. I was so happy. I was congratulating him. I was telling his parents, you know what? 
your child did a really good job. And then I'm so happy. I'm so proud of him. After that celebration of sorts, the student of mine stopped talking to me. And in my mind, what happened to that kid? You used to talk to me a lot. And we started, you know, I was trying to converse with him and he would always, you know, just, just go away. Yung, yung parang lumiit yung mundo niya. Pagka humadang kami sa hallway, nawawala siya. <laughs> you know, when he's going this way and I'm going the other way, he would, he would go always away from me. Towards the end of the year, we had a good sit-down conversation. And I was asking him, what happened to you? Sir, remember the test that I aced? I cheated. It cost us not to talk. It cost us not to have any more conversations. I could have helped you, but you chose to move away. And that's a small expression of how guilt and shame can drive a person. But on a larger plane, this experience of guilt and shame can drive us in so many ways that it can drown us. You think of the world around you Think of the people that surround you. And think of yourself as a person who go through life and experience maybe a sense of guilt and shame. Because at core of it is not just a problem of guilt and shame. It is really a separation from God. We have a very curious word in the word sin because, um, you know, I always say this about sin. Sin sometimes is not useful as a term because there's just so many things that can go into it and people always ask, is this a sin? Is it not? Is this a sin? This is not? And, and people try to make boundaries to what sin is and what is it's not. But the most integral part of defining what sin is from its original world in Hebrew, Chata, in its New Testament word, Hamartia, is that there's this inability to reach. It's always missing a mark. That there's this desire to reach something, but then there's this inability to reach it. That's a more helpful, I think, imagery of sin. Because it's not just about doing. It's also about not being able to reach a certain standard that you would want to. Now, you look around us, and that's the sea of people that we know. People trying to meet a certain standard and constantly failing and constantly wanting more. And it may not be in the, in the plane of guilt and shame. But in a plane and expression of so many different things, this sin expresses itself as a separation between us and God. The Bible offers a very interesting uh, analysis of this human condition. Genesis chapter 3 presents to us a response to a God who created us to be loving Him and loving other people. But we fail. And therefore, when this man and woman, Adam, that word means humanity, Eve means life, and they went through this narrative and they failed because they choose for themselves how to live their lives. And now, when God asked them, where are you? The response was to hide. Remember this? To cover themselves, to hide, and to blame. They covered themselves, they hid, and when they were found out, it was not my fault. This woman that you gave me. And then the woman said, it was not my fault. It was the snake, the serpent. Which eventually in Revelation, you'll know Satan, the dragon. The Satan, wala, wala na siyang masisi. So, siya na lang. 
But you think about this, this very interesting observation of human expression, that when we go through this kata, this sin, this inability to reach, we either hide, cover ourselves, or blame. Guilt does that to us. Does these things to us. We either hide, cover ourselves with the kind of things that we think will cover us from what we have done or hide, totally isolated from the world. Anyway, maybe this will help me. Or maybe blame somebody else. It wasn't my fault. In the first place, di naman ako uminom ng marami. <laughs> May ano pa disclaimer, uminom ng marami. When we think of this analysis of human condition, we, it gives us a view of how, how life in the modern situation is. How people use social media to be accepted. You know how social media is predicated on being liked? <laughs> it's predicated on being noticed. It's predicated on being accepted and being part of a thing. Not that it's wrong, okay? Not that it's wrong. Social media is a wonderful tool. But it is a very, very interesting expression, if you think about it, of how this gap, this guilt and shame, and how we use sometimes social media to cover it up, and how this also affects the very fabric of our social interactions. Bago kumain, picture muna. There are others still who, in, in, in this situation of being far away from the Lord, would use possessions to put in and try to make sense of guilt and shame. If only I am richer, maybe people would accept me. Or maybe people would look past what I've done. If only I'm more powerful, if only I'm more popular, if only I can do much more, maybe people would look past my inability or the things in my heart or what I have done. Or maybe to turn to fleeting relationships, temporary happiness that maybe would fill the gap and say, maybe this will help me. A good night with my friends would ease away the pain of this world. Or simply, Isolation. Not being with anybody. The lie that in isolation, there is serenity. But in truth, in isolation, there's nothingness. I turn to imagine how Peter responded when he fell and when he denied Jesus. I'm not sure. The narrative of the scripture does not tell you as much. We know for sure that the disciples slowly Follow Jesus through the cross and even after. In fact, they took care of the body, the disciples. Mary was there. But somehow in the midst of all these things, Peter went back to his old life. Peter went back to fishing. In fact, in the same place, the Sea of Tiberias, Galilee area. He went back with his friends, the disciples. They started fishing again. They started going back to their original life. And in this last chapter of the book of John, expresses how Jesus deals with the sin, the shame, the rejection that he experienced with Peter. 
The whole chapter 21, if you read it, we can go through the details of it, but the time would not permit us. But basically, it's a rehash of many things. For example, they went back to fishing, just like the old days. There was a fire kindling at the seashore, just like the night Peter betrayed Jesus. There was fish that they caught, not in the night, but in the morning, just like when Peter was called by Jesus the first time. And after this breakfast, and now we're back to the breakfast, and its significance to this story. How did Jesus meet Peter's guilt, shame, and rejection? How did this resurrected Christ, because he died and rose again, how did he meet Peter's shame, guilt, and rejection? He met it with a meal, with some questions, and a commission. If you look at it, after they had finished breakfast. Breakfast is an important detail again as I've started this discussion. Breakfast is important because Jewish males specifically, which John is and which Peter and um, Jesus is, eating meals with people signifies several things. One is fellowship. You say that word? Fellowship. But fellowship is a very American word that we understand. In, in the Jewish understanding of fellowship, fellowship happens when you take your equals and associate with them. What you are saying is that when you eat with someone, at least at this time, is that you're equating them with you and you are saying they're my people. This is fairly important because if you think about it, remember Levi? Remember tax collector? Eventually he became... Matthew, that's his, Levi, Matthew. Remember Jesus called them and said, follow me. And what did they do? They ate. And then what did the Pharisees say? You are dining with them. You are reclining with them. You are eating with sinners and tax collectors. Why? Because by eating with them, he's saying, they're my people. Parehas kami. You know those uh, tables and restaurants when you have extra two chairs or extra two tables and somebody tells you, pwede ma kayo po? Ay, hindi, hindi, mayroong ako po dyan. Kahit wala, di ba? <laughs> because eating is a very intimate human expression of life. So much so in the Jewish understanding of it. So what's the significance of the breakfast in this detail? John was associating this narrative, Jesus, was associating himself again to Peter. The very guy who denied him. The very guy who said, uh, I am not. Uh, I do not know him. Jesus is once more associating himself to him. His response to Peter's denial was that of acceptance. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, the famous question, do you love me? And there's this reconstruction there that says, more than these. And we can try and approximate what, what these are. And um, since it's not as clear here, many Bible scholars have tried to interpret what these things are. It could be the meal. <laughs> it could be the fellowship that he's having with the disciples. It could be his life that he went back to after Jesus, life, death, and resurrection. Do you love me more than these things? 
And the response of Peter, yes, you know that I love you. Think about this for a moment. After eating, and most probably they're still with the disciples, they're around maybe on a circle, Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? And that's a very striking detail to John's narrative and the rest of the gospel narratives. Because in my mind, I was thinking, wouldn't it be a, an interesting conversation if Jesus asks, Uy, Peter, why did you deny me? <laughs> Imagine the, the scandal it would cause in the heart of Peter. Maybe his heart would jump out of his mouth. Iluwak niya lahat yung fish and bread that he's eating at that point. Wouldn't that be an important and interesting conversation? For Jesus to start the post-breakfast conversation with, Peter, you denied me three times. I was right. <laughs> but no, he weighed on something so interesting and important. He pointed to a question, do you love me? In fact, three times he asked Peter. This is an intentional structure that shows you Peter denied him three times. Jesus asked him to affirm this love three times. Jesus' response to Peter's denial, shame, and guilt was love. Let's pause to examine and think about what this means as John closes the narrative of his wonderful gospel. He takes to examination the commission of Peter. But inside that commission of Peter, it's not just that. It's the reconciliation of Peter and Jesus. A personal encounter that would change totally Peter. It somehow gives us a peek to God's solution to the great problem of sin. To the great problem of kata, harmarsia. The great problem of iniquity and transgression. Those words mean the same thing. It's the gap between God and man. The solution of Christ wasn't just to pat him at the back and say, okay na tayo. The solution of Christ wasn't to give him more things to do, nor to give him money, nor possession. The solution of Christ was that of a life lived perfectly, a death gruesome, and a resurrection glorious. God's solution to this ultimate human problem and condition is divine intrusion come into the scene and invade the situation to disturb what is the status quo and challenge and show that there's a better way of life. Not without, not without the gruesome death on the cross. Think about how Jesus in this narrative is. That the gospel is Jesus piercing through the fabric of history coming into existence, not that He does not exist, coming into existence here on this earth as a physical being, this God, born into a stable, born into a man, walk through the frailties of human life, thirst, hunger, pain, even to the point of being denied, being spat on, being hit, culminating in the death on the cross, so gruesome that in many ways, no innocent man deserves. But his rising again in that resurrection is one of the most important events, not only in human understanding of the biblical narrative, but in human history itself. How do we understand this resurrected Christ? 
I think that's an important challenge of John as he closes his narrative. How does this resurrected Christ affect the way we understand life as it is? Our heart's condition. This resurrected Christ showed himself three times to the disciples, as John would note. And every time he would show himself, he was doing something extraordinary. Remember Thomas and his challenge. <laughs> what a guy, right? But at this third showing, it was a long conversation between him and Peter. As if showing something so important in this ministry that Jesus is entrusting Peter. And I think sheds light also to understanding the gospel. This Renew series is such a sore series, but it is at core of what Christianity is. We can be so busy with so many Christian things, but if we do not understand this, it's hard to build Christianity or understanding of it. Stripped away of preaching this word on a Sunday, the aircon on this room, stripped away of chairs and all other traditions that we put into Christianity, what's left is a message of a God so loving. He created, and though they rebelled, He loved to the point of death, showing that when He rose again, I'll show love further by accepting The resurrected Christ is not just an image. It is a truth of history that pegs Christianity and separates it from the other claims of the world. As Paul would note, if the resurrection was not true, our faith would be in vain. There are many Jesus that claim to be the Messiah. Or there are many Messiahs that claim to be the Messiah. But all of them died and did not rise again. Only Jesus did. Maybe this is a time that I would call you to pause and consider what the gospel message is. Because I think it could be so easy to come on a Sunday, listen to a message like this and say, well, I don't have guilt and shame in my heart anymore. Well, I don't experience guilt and shame anymore. I I go through my life and I'm okay. Maybe it's time to reflect and consider what the gospel is really saying to us. That whatever that gap between us and God, Jesus bridged through His message of the good news. Through His life, death, and resurrection. The gospel is the good news of a renewed life in and through Christ. That's redundant actually if you think about it. Because the gospel means good news. But yeah, I intentionally put the capital G there. The Christian gospel, the Christian good news appears on top of all other good news. Because it is a message of a renewed life. It's not a promise of just be better and God will accept you. It's not an argument that if you just do this, if you just try this, then maybe. It is the good news of a life that encounters a Jesus that turns around everything. That reorganizes, reorients. In the words of Paul, that makes us who are dead rise again and live a resurrected life with Christ. Dear Christian, if you're here and you're listening to this message, I want you to listen to the very words of Jesus when he says, follow me to Peter. I hope that it pierces through the noise of this world and remind us of what Christianity really is. A truth, a message, a good news. This world is dying. 
as beautiful as it is, as exceedingly growing as it is, it is dying to the core. We are slowly wilting away, so to speak. But you know what's the darker news than that? Some in this place right now are wilting away towards a direction that is not towards God. And the good news is that Jesus provides a way to reconcile us back to Him. If the denial of Peter is so bad that in front of his face, he denied him, but in the same manner, in his face, he accepted him. What other sins do we place on our hearts or in our minds that we think is too big a gap between us and God? No sin, no guilt, no shame is greater than the love that is demonstrated on the empty cross. There's no sin, there's no guilt, there's no shame greater than the love shown by the empty cross. And that reality and history is only true for those who believe. I realize that as I'm saying guilt and shame, maybe some words like depression can come up. And I remember being invited to talk about a seminar on depression for youth. I got into this table with one of the organizers and me, one pastor and one woman who went through depression. And uh, we were conversing and having good talk about depression and how it is a very, very big human problem at the season, especially in young people. And we were talking about it, a long conversation. And then one of the organizers started mentioning, you know what I realized? These people who are depressed, they just need Jesus. They just need Jesus. And as much as I appreciate and I understand what she's saying, I get at core what she's saying is that a real, genuine encounter with Jesus is all people who are depressed needs. I'm, I'm much afraid that that phrase is not as simple as it sounds. You get me when I say this? Many people throw out, you just need Jesus. With any problem, you just need Jesus. And as much as that is so important, and I believe that is true, I think that phrase is not helpful for people who are going through it. I sat at the corner, bowing my head. At the corner of my eye, I was looking at the girl who went through depression. She was doing this. I knew she cannot argue against that phrase. Jesus lang yan. As much as I talk about guilt and shame, and as much as I talk about how it is the gospel that cuts through that problem, it doesn't mean we can be tactless about it. It doesn't mean we will just brush it off as if it's just another headache that they need medical for. In fact, I feel there's a need for us to have a greater sensitivity of this. Because social media has been educating our children about this. Videos every now and then talk about depression and what it is. Maybe it's high time for us to pause and consider what it is. To think about how guilt and shame in such a culture can affect this generation. In fact, just a plug but I think this is so important. If you want to know more about this, we're going to have on August 28 a very intimate discussion on what understanding depression is, how the Bible views it, but not only the Bible. Because as much as the Bible is truth, there's, there's also this ongoing conversation outside Scripture that we need to consider as part of our conversation. And ground all these conversations on the truth of who Jesus and who He is and what He has done. In fact, if you have friends, this is open to everybody. If they're not in church yet, I'd like you to invite them for them to see what God is doing and what, what it is really 
to understand depression. But back to our story, para may patalastas lang in the middle. <laughs> From the failure of Peter to the restoration of Jesus, something here in this narrative happens that is so important for us to see. Every time Jesus asks him, he answers, of course, that he, yes, of course, Jesus, you know that I love you. And Jesus responds with the phrase. He would say, feed my lambs. And also, tend my sheep. On other translations, it is, pastor my sheep. And at the end of this conversation, as Peter was grieved, because on the third time he was being asked again, he said, feed my sheep. For truly I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself, walk wherever you wanted. When you're old, you were stretch out your hands. Another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This is said to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. As their conversation ends, each time they do this, do you love me? Yes, of course. He gives this commission. Love other people. Love my people. Take care of them. If you reflect on each segment of this renew, every time Jesus encounters one who is broken, suffering, oppressed, it always ends with God telling that person, do this for other people. In fact, this is what happens here. When Jesus reconciles Peter back to himself. He takes Peter in and says, you know what? Do this for other people. Reconcile them as well. Put them back as well. Love them as well. And then at the end, he says, follow me. If you're here and you're not a Christian, that means this. It's not joining this tradition or belief system or religion. It is a relationship with this Jesus that reconciles you to Himself. Not because you're worthy, not because you're good, but because He just so loves you for His glory and for your joy. But if you're here and you're a follower of Christ, I hope these words ring to our ears. That we were not reconciled to be reconciled only. We're reconciled so that we may become agents of this reconciliation. That we may go out that as we follow Jesus, we tell other people of this great message. We live in a dying world. Your friend, your relative, maybe your father needs this reconciling message. I pray that the challenge in our hearts, if you're here and you're a Christian, is the question, how do I bring this message of reconciliation outside this place? As we draw to a close, and with this very, very short story that I think encapsulates what all of these are. I was invited to judge a competition, a declamation competition. It was of grade 3 students. And you know grade 3 students, right? They're active, they're excited, they're shy. And they're forced somehow always by their parents to perform in these events. <laughs> so one kid went up the stage, obviously scared. 
shaking almost. When he took his uh, arms out, <laughs> saying the title, it was shaking. People started laughing. He continued shaking. To the point that he almost, I would say, peed on his pants. I was looking at him, trying to encourage him. But people were starting to murmur things. You know this, right? And all just, oh, no, 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 you don't, no, no. And people started, it gets louder and louder. And this young boy was just trying to make sense of this. And he's almost crying. And when he's about to rush out of the stage, a voice from the audience, so loud and so firm, said, Anak, amen. And the boy stopped. Went back at the center stage. I don't know, maybe fear, maybe love. But I think he gained a sort of confidence. He carried through the declamation. Finished. Everybody clapped and shouted. I was there sitting, imagining to myself, this is what Jesus did to us. That in the midst of the noise of guilt and shame, when the enemy whispers that you're not good enough or reminds you of that sin, the voice of God cuts through that noise. Reminds you, Anak, I hope that affirmation that comes from the cross of Christ pulls us closer to Him. Let's all pray. Precious Heavenly Father, we thank You because we do not deserve the acceptance we do not deserve the kind of love that the empty cross showed us. But in your loving sovereign grace, you've allowed us to just bow our heads and accept this love. So Lord, I pray that as we respond today, we'll go out of this place not only reminded, not only renewed, but also excited to be reconcilers your agents of this ministry and reconciliation. Thank you, God, for your word. No other thing but your grace and mercy and love. In your name be glorified forever and ever. Amen.